You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Three Kings was written in 1857 by John Hopkins, an Episcopalian minister from Pennsylvania. It's been one of my favorite Christmas songs since I was quite young. And back then, I'm not quite sure what it was I liked so much about it. I suspect uh, the the melody and the rhythm, as well as the minor key of the verse contrasted with the mostly major key of the chorus, might have had something to do with it. At the same time, I couldn't have told you any of that back then. And I could be wrong. Maybe I just like the implied imagery of camels plodding across the desert. But as an adult, I can definitely tell you why We Three Kings is still one of my favorite Christmas songs. Mostly, it's easy to play on the guitar, so that's good. No, that's not the real reason, but it might be a reason. The real reason that I like this song so much is that it ties the beginning of Jesus' earthly life with his ultimate purpose in coming to earth. Namely, Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem in order to someday die on a cross to make salvation and forgiveness available to all people. I want to talk about that in a minute. But first, let's separate what we really know about the wise men from what we don't know. We do know that they came from the east. And it's very possible that they came from what is now modern-day Iran, Iraq, or even Turkey, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, parts of Georgia, and even parts of Saudi Arabia are also possibilities. We also know that the word Matthew used to refer to them is magi, although wise men is a pretty good translation. It is possible that they were kings, but that is by no means certain. More certain, perhaps, is that they would have had elevated status in whatever kingdom of which they were a part. These were educated men who, at the very least, functioned as advisors and counselors to the kings and high-ranking officials of their country or countries. It's quite likely that they were very wealthy, at least if they were any good at being wise men. Many have assumed that there were three magi because of the three gifts they brought to Jesus. The song, We Three Kings, makes that same assumption and names them according to traditions that began at least 500 years after the birth of Jesus. All we know about their numbers is that there were more than one. The word magi is plural. Somehow, I doubt that there were 50 of them, but the fact is we just don't know. And let's talk for a moment about the common depictions of the nativity scene. Things that we've even sung about here tonight, we have depicted out here in our entryway. There's the baby Jesus lying in the manger. His mother, Mary, and his father, Joseph, kneeling down next to him. Surrounding them are a variety of barn and farm animals. You get cows, sheep, donkeys, even camels, with shepherds standing all around. And there are the wise men, all three of them, of course, kneeling with their gifts extended toward Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But in fact, the wise men 
did not appear at the manger. We don't know all, we don't know that all of those animals were there. That's not really an issue. But the passage I read a, a few minutes ago from Matthew 2 says that the star that the wise men had seen while they were still at home in their country to the east came and stood over the place where the child was. And then it said in verse 11, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. And we don't know how long it took for Joseph, Mary, and Jesus to find and to move into a house. But the appearance of the wise men could have been anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple of years after the birth of Jesus Christ. And we don't know that they had camels, although uh, if they'd been traveling that far through the desert, I hope they had some form of beast of burden to carry their supplies, or themselves, or both. And then we do know, we do know at least three of the gifts they brought to pay homage to this newborn king of the Jews, Jesus. And those gifts, again, we sung about them here a couple of times tonight, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gifts themselves had a great deal of value, intrinsically, but it is the symbolism of the gifts that forms the basis of the song we just sang, We Three Kings. Now, there are several different opinions about what exactly each gift represents, but my understanding is that the symbolism provided to us in the song here is correct. So let's go through the song again and consider why the Magi brought these gifts to Jesus. First, let me read verse 2 of the song to you again. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never over us all to reign. Something we're all familiar with, probably, and that is gold. We know it primarily as a decorative precious metal. It is also used extensively in electronics because of its conductive properties and the fact that it doesn't tarnish or corrode. But the Magi had something else in mind when they brought the gold to Jesus. As Matthew 2, 2 states, the wise men asked a particular question when they arrived in Jerusalem. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For the people of the first century, gold was the currency of kings. Its value was absolute. And ownership of gold was a matter of status and pride. As an example, King Solomon back in the Old Testament, received 666 talents of gold each year in tribute. You want to know what that is in pounds? Multiply it by 70. I'll let you do the math. I'm not going to do it. But King Solomon had so much gold that it says that all of his cups that he drank out of every meal, every time he drank out of something, all of his cups were made out of gold. Not one of them was made out of silver. That's how much gold Solomon had, and it, it was associated with his status and his power as the king. Gold is truly a gift, then, fit for a king. The Magi came looking for a king, and they found him. At the announcement of Jesus' birth, the angel Gabriel told Mary that the Lord God would give Jesus the throne of David, 
and he would reign forever. And Jesus isn't just the king of the Jews. Revelation describes Jesus as the king of kings. He is the king of the Jews, and he is the king of the non-Jews. He is your king, and he's my king. John Hopkins had it right when he wrote the words, Over us all to reign. Now here's verse 3 again. Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising all men raising. Worship him, God most high. I think our version said God on high, but I like this one. God most high. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 34, God told Moses to make incense, to burn on the altar of incense in the holy place of the tabernacle. Frankincense was a key component of that incense. God also forbid the Israelites from using that particular blend of sweet spices and frankincense for their personal use. Why? Why would God do that? Because that incense was to be used for the special purpose of worshiping God. Any other use would have been blasphemous as it would take what was devoted to God alone and offer it to someone or something else. And that offering of that which is devoted to God to anyone or anything would be an act of worship. There were no prohibitions on the use of frankincense by itself. But the frankincense brought by the Magi to Jesus was symbolic of the worship of God. Do you remember the declaration made by the wise men after inquiring about the king of the Jews? They said, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Worship is an activity reserved for the one you would call Lord or God. Worship is the equivalent of declaring, you are my God, and I submit myself to your authority and control completely. One would not truly worship a mere earthly king. Jesus himself said it best when he quoted Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20, He had been tempted by Satan. Satan had taken him up onto a high mountain, shown him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all this can be yours. You don't have to go to the cross. All this can be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus replied to him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The first chapter of the Gospel of John makes it clear that Jesus Christ is indeed God in the flesh. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here the, the, the uh, designation, the Word, refers to Jesus. Then verse 14 of that same chapter adds, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In John, John chapter 10 Verse 30, Jesus made the claim of deity for himself directly when he said, I and the Father, and he meant the Father God, I and the, and the Father are one. How appropriate then that about Jesus, 
the song directs us to worship him, God most high. And finally, verse 4. Verse 4 of the song that we sang says, Myrrh is mine, its bitter perfume breathed a life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. Myrrh is perhaps the most obscure of the three gifts, at least symbolically speaking. Myrrh was used, uh, commonly used for embalming, or in the case of the Jews who didn't practice embalming, it was used for the anointing of a body for burial. While the wise men seemed to understand both the kingship and deity of Jesus, we don't have any direct indication that they understood his ultimate purpose of dying on a cross as the atoning sacrifice for mankind. Still, to me, it seems doubtful that they would bring myrrh purely on the premise that, well, all men die. If they correctly identified him as God, perhaps they also understood the scriptures that revealed this child king, God in the flesh, also to be the savior of mankind. Whatever the case, they did bring myrrh. And John Hopkins connected that gift to the death and burial of Jesus, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone-cold tomb. And he followed those thoughts in verse 5 with this victorious summary. Glorious now, behold him arise, King and God and sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, God in the flesh gave himself as an atoning sacrifice, taking the sins of the whole world upon himself so we could have forgiveness from our sins and eternal life in him.